Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. from Romans 4, 1 to 12. At the end of the reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Please do respond by saying thanks be to God. Romans 4, 1 to 12. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who walks, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Delmo. And good morning, everyone. Just give me a minute to organize my paperweights. Okay, so welcome to City Church and um, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I know we saw last, last Sunday, but last Sunday was last year. I remember meeting some, uh, somebody at the gate today and I couldn't remember where, whether I'd seen them in the New Year or not. But Happy New Year to all of you. Uh, and welcome to our series, uh, our Crossing Over series. And somebody said to me there that that's a bit weird for City Church folks to be talking about crossing over. But we're talking about crossing by faith and last week we spoke a little bit about living by faith and I think the number of things Femi tried to uh, pass across to us that if 2018 was our year of focus 2019 would be the year that we would say we would live by faith it's a year of faith and so the idea is that we would individually and collectively observe 
our rhythms, we would engage in some reflection and develop some resolutions. In case um, you don't, you are not yet in the habit of having resolutions, or the kind of resolutions that you develop are only in the line of your career, your marriage, and things like that. So we would sort of engage in some uh, gospel reflection and res resolutions. Uh, he talked about an age of faith, and I think some of the things here bear uh, repeating just in summary. Uh, talked about an age of faith that went sort of a transition period between the old and the new when we're looking forward to eternal things. But the things the Bible tells us to, uh, to have faith in are things that are eternal in scope and not temporal things. And, and our culture, and if you look at Christianity in Nigeria for the last 20, 25 years, faith has been for things, for possessions, for achievements. And when we're believing God, it's usually along those lines to acquire, to achieve, uh, to have momentum in the things we want. And he's saying, he said those things uh, that the Bible talks about having faith for are things that are actually eternal in scope. He talked about the nature of faith and how we confuse faith to be some kind of a mystical force, something we crank up on inside of us, some self-generated ideal, um, and something we sometimes even delude ourselves. Uh, and, and, it's not pr and it's primarily a faith for something rather than a faith in God. And then we've got a good definition, working definition of faith. Many people define it in many ways. I said, Christian faith is accepting and demonstrating as true what God has revealed through Christ concerning himself and his actions in his word, the Bible. So the things God has promised to us, it tells us where the root of our faith should come from. Uh, he talked about the life of faith, that because the things we hope for are the things promised to us by God. So our faith is not empty. We're not making things up. It's things that God has promised to us. And they're also things that we don't see. So we have to ensure that our faith is in God. Circumstances may change. Environment may change. Uh, we put our trust in God and not merely in what we want from him. And the root of our faith is in God's character, in his attributes, not primarily our personal experiences, no matter how interesting and mystical. I know many of you have climbed staircases to heaven and you've met principalities, right? right? Stuff has happened to all of us. Like your life is really interesting. I wish I had it, right? God answers your prayers. You have dreams. Before anything happens, God talks to you first, right? Your life is interesting, but that's not the roots of our faith. It's in God's character and in its attributes. And living by faith then means that in 2019, we're going to make it our aim to please God. And he spoke about what the moral implications of that would be. And essentially in faithfulness, loyalty to Jesus, to his ways, to his cause, and confidence, a settled trust that affects how your courage and how you make your decisions. Today, we'll continue that series examining how we even get to that place where we can walk with God and say we're trusting in God and expecting from him and living with him. How can that be a normal thing to say that we're working with the divine um, creator? How we say we're trusting in him and we're speaking to him? How we, you know, and how we got to the point where we can sing and be joyful? Uh, we ordinary human beings who are once his enemies. And so today I'll be speaking on the free gift of faith. It's really a little talk on righteousness, uh, the standing that God gives to us that enables us to get all these things. So let me just bust. I'm not trying to create something and with a big reveal at the end, you know, a big reveal like, oh, this is what he was saying all along. I now get it. You get it from now. It's about righteousness. So the free gift of faith. And on that, I'll be speaking in three parts, the affinity of merit, the credit of faith, and the order of faith. Let us pray. God, our Father, we commit every heart in this place and we commit your message to you and to the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would convict each and every one of us and you would give us joy in this conviction. We ask this in Jesus' name. And so, when we speak about the affinity of merit, my first point, the affinity of merit, 
Romans, uh, the text that Demo read, uh, I'll just read a bit of it again. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? This matter of righteousness, this matter of how you get righteousness. If in fact Abraham was justified, and justified is a legal declaration that God gives to a human being that says, you are right with me. I'm okay with you. We have no problem. You can come before me. We can chat. We can have a talk. We can have a relationship. It's as simple as that. Abraham was, if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We took a long, extensive look at Hebrews 11 also last week. Abraham is one of those people that I refer to as the father of faith. And his, his name shows up in uh, both uh, in the history of faith and in Hebrews 11.6. If we were to please God in 2019, we're saying, what must we do? Obviously, the answer we must walk with God uh, and we must walk in faith with God. And Abraham's, it said in Hebrews 11, that Abraham pleased God, right? Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Obviously, Abraham came to the point where he and God were in such agreement that when the Lord came to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, there was one person he came to and he says, I'm going to do this thing. Go. I'm going to do this thing. And, and you know, his cousin was living there and he, uh, his nephew was living there and he interceded with the Lord and the Lord allowed him that, you know, is it three or five people that live there? Three or five people? What's the number? It's a quiz. Is it three or five people? One eventually. Thank you. I didn't know that, right? So if there's one person, one, one person there, I, will, I, you know, I won't destroy it. And, you know, unfortunately, there was not one righteous soul, just uh, Lot and his family, and that city was destroyed. But God came to him and spoke with him because Abraham walked with God um, and pleased God. And the scriptures where we say, where, that where, with, uh, uh, Paul quotes that Abraham believed God and it was created to him for righteousness. is actually taken from Genesis 15, 1 to 6, where God made one of his many numerous promises. But this was a massive one. And I'll read uh, Genesis 15, 1 to 6. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. Abraham said, Lord God, what can you give me? Since I'm childless, he had a lot of money, so he wasn't looking for money. But since I was chi- I'm childless and the heir of my house is Elias of Damascus. Abraham continued, look, you have given me no offspring. So a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir, instead one will come from your own body, will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky, count the stars, if you're able to count them, uh, if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. And verse 6 then says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. So God came to make a visit to him and promised him an heir and said, and this is when he had no children and he was old. Uh, almost 100 years old, and, he, uh, gave me, uh, gave, and God gave him this uh, promise. And he said, it believed the Lord. And I think God was happy. God was happy with the fact that a human being received his promise as true, right? And said, you're all right with me. We have a relationship. And it eventually says, you are my friend. Why is that a big deal? Now, to help us understand this, we have to understand why faith is so different to the way we... Uh, faith is a common thing, but it's so different with the way we, we think the world works. Merit is closer to how we understand the world works, right? Now, many understand the idea of merit. It's the definition of merit. Uh, the quality of being uh, particularly good or worthy. The claim to be deserving respect and praise or to have earned a reward. Merit is how the world works. Uh, 
you know, you get a job, it should be on merit, right? You get a contract, it should be on merit. In fact, where merit is absent, we, we go to war, we, we complain. We, the whole movement, whole social movement, the whole justice movement surrounding merit or the lack of merit in societies, right? It's very important for us and for how we understand the world should work. But if you take, uh, so in the British Empire, there's something called the Order of Merit. It's open to all Commonwealth countries, uh, where a sovereign, a sovereign, it started with, I think, King Edward VI, he created this peerless order of 24 people across the globe, 24 people, right? It has 24 living members. I mean, it was first conceived of in 1805. They didn't get around to actually convening the first set until 1902. And the award is for people who served in the armed forces. So go to the previous slide. Is there a previous slide for that? Not after. Previous one. All right, don't worry. That will do. Anyway, so it's for people who have served in armed forces, who have distinguished themselves. It's for exceptional meritorious service in armed forces, in wartime, or things like that. Literature, science, business, arts, culture, charity, business. Look at, look at the members. Look at the men. You know, prime ministers lobby, that, prime ministers who, who are members of the Commonwealth, they lobby to be on that list. Florence Nightingale, Nightingale I mean, I mean, I mean, I don't know what to say. Lord Mountbatten, these are, these are people you read in books. Dead guy, he's a dead guy. You know, you read in books and you're like, whoa, you read about their exploits. Lord Foster, the guy who's, who designed the Thames Bank, Lord Rothschild, that, if you don't know the name Rothschild, you know money. You know that thing called money. They have it. They don't work for it anymore. They give it out now. Philanthropist, David Attenborough, respected naturalist, uh, founder of the World Wide Web. What did you found? Have you found anything? World Wide Web, uh, two former prime ministers, Australia, Canada, you know, the inventor of backless vacuum. No, Nigeria, no backless vacuum. No, season our brooms. Okay, that's fine. We don't know him. Prince, and then this to just spoilt it because that's not merit. That's not merit. Right? This house, uh, Prince Philip, and Prince Charles, that's not merit. So even this list is not good. But these are people who are, it's not good. What, what did they do? They married into money. Right? So that reminds me of the, it's an accomplishment. I like how you think. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I remember the, the, the I worked for a power company in the US, and I remember uh, the, the CEO and the, and the COO were science of the founder of the business, and he wrote a book on how to succeed how to like be a CEO and they distributed the book to everyone and I remember my boss saying oh that's easy just get born into the family <laughs> right so yeah you can't talk about merit and you talk about inheritance so that's not such a good list anyway this guy's uh, I want to see the picture of the, the medals they give them is it there go to the next one yeah medal I mean the way they, dis they described it golden crown suspended red enamel cross Disc of blue enamel, surrounded by royal gold lettering for merit. They wear it proudly. They take pictures for merit. The chest, your chest, your chest out, no matter how big your chest is already. And their counsels to the sovereign. They sit around, they can't, you know, the queen, mm, ceremonial, but calls them once or twice a year or whatever it is they do. And their counsels to the queen. They distinguish men and women. Now, in the Nigerian context, if we were to pick one Nigerian each for six slots to go and join these people. And they ask people in this room to choose. Who would you choose for business? Hi. Exactly. Thank you, my sister. Uh, literature. Ah. Millennials, they've cheated you. I was going to go with Chimamanda, but of course, Wole is still alive. So Chimamanda can't go to the council. 
Who would go for culture and arts? Recent, uh, uh, recency. She did it two, three years. We've forgotten all the historical guys. But yes, Bolan Lee Peters. No, everybody's like, uh, literally, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't have culture. We don't have much art and culture in our lives. Who will we send for science? You can't. Francis. Look, if you, don't, if you know, you know. If you don't speak up for him, he'll speak up for himself. Who would we send for charitable, for charity work? Yes, in Nigeria. It has to be Nigerian. We can't borrow, eh? We're not really sure. We don't have anyone. Military service. We don't know them. Military service. Okay, okay. So that one, that one, you understand that. How about if, let, let's go spiritual here. You, you know, like Efela, let's go spiritual. Let's move to a higher order now. Right? If I said Christian context, spiritual context, let's pick five Nigerians to serve universal. I don't mean universal. See, that was global council. This is global council. I'm talking universal. I'm talking beyond earth. You know, and second heavens and th- you, whatever heavens. Right? There's, a, there's going to be a universal council of divine advisors. Who said, hmm? You understand what I'm talking about, right? Five Nigerians will serve in that council. Uh, you know, and they're, they're only going to be 24. Universe, all the planets, they may be aliens, I don't know. But it's going to be 24 elders to replace the 24 elders. Not to replace, not to replace, not to replace, to stand in an outer, outer, outer court, 24 elders. To, and, um, and I'm going to pick some criteria. And who would you, which Nigerians would you choose to join them? Bible knowledge or quoting. Bible quoting. George Adegboe. Find me, find me reads from it, but he reads from his phone. <laughs> Bible knowledge. Quotes. George Adegboe. That's somebody who has known. All right. Prayer intercession. You have to call the name. The whole church MFM go. Okay. Ulukoya. All right. Praise and worship. For, for prayer worship. Okay. I will have thought Sinatch. All right. Above just general emojiness, man of godness, ministry. Who goes about healing the sick? Healing the sick. Fake. But okay, okay, but see the names. All right. So you can see we have a natural affinity for marriage. We even, we even, so I, 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 this spiritual order of marriage, so to speak, I chose the basis, but all of us could immediately think of someone who exemplified uh, these traits or attributes, who merits inclusion for respect and honor. And we're saying we're going to send these people to the very presence of God to represent us. We have, we understand merit, and that's the way a lot of us, uh, we live. Now, our selection was based on some observations, some awareness of their performance, uh, record what Romans 4 we refer to as works, works, their performance record, things we know that they do or they're good at. Uh, book of Romans we refer to as works, and the ability to stand before God like those 24 elders in Revelations, the Bible refers to it as their righteousness, right? Their right standing, their ability to stand in the presence of God without being chased away, without saying, "Who are you again? What are you doing here?" Right? The basis on which they can stand in His presence, they can walk with Him, they can hear. From him, they can intercede for us, they can pray to him, and they can expect from him. Or we all here can expect from him. That's righteousness in, in, in a nutshell, right? And, um, yeah, so I've already said we already understand what merit is. So it's not, it's not that hard. 
it's not that bad. But we keep forgetting. It's just a simple that says, who can stand in God's presence? Or what is it that would allow us to sinful human, flawed human beings, holy, righteous, just God, way beyond us, what gives us access to him? How is he able? Um, how is it that he can stand us? Right? All right. Who takes me to my second point? The credit of faith. In verse 4 to 8, I'll read 4 again. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from work, saying, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whom the, the, whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Now, Paul essentially contradicts how we would select members of a divine order or, uh, you know, a divine council. Again, I said this is a group of people who would be able to come into God's presence uh, without falling apart, right? People who can have interaction with him. Uh, remember the story of King Xerxes uh, in, in Book of Esther, King Xerxes, anyone who comes into the presence of the king without an invitation, what would happen to them? Centers of death, Right? Uh, just from pure presumption and effort, how dare you come into me? But for a divine uh, being, for God, it's because we, we, it wouldn't be an unjust thing. It wouldn't be just out of ego. It would be because uh, the wages of our, of our very, very unexcellent sinful self is what? Death. It would be a just punishment. And so when people like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Gideon, and Manoah, when they see the Lord, and these are people who walked with God, right? Or at, some of them worked with God. Some of them were having their first encounter with God. But when they met with God, what happened to them? What did Isaiah say? Woe unto me. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell with the people. Of he joined his neighbors. He said, ah! This dirty gutter. It's like having a president come visit you and you're just embarrassed for your surroundings. You're embarrassed for yourself. You're like, I can't, you, can't, you can't come in. You can't come in. Isaiah was, I'm dead. Woe unto me. A man of unclean, and God had to take uh, tongues of fire, or at least the image of tongue of uh, tongue of coal was given to uh, put on his mouth to cleanse him. If we're invited to any sort of divine presence, or into any sort of divine relationship, if we get there on the basis of our excellent morality, our spotlessness, on the basis of our high achievement in divine things, or our perfection in keeping the law. Then you can go around telling your friends that you earned it, right? You can go around boasting. That's what uh, the scripture is saying about Abraham. If Abraham got his righteousness because of the things that he did, he could go around boasting and say, I deserve to be in God's presence. But, you know, Abraham is not foolish. But you can't get that status. You can't get access to God, Paul is saying. Uh, and before Paul, Isaiah lamented in Isaiah 6, 4, 6, that human nature, that the human nature of every one of us has become so infected with sin, has permeated every cell, every thought, everything we produce is so infected with sin that if we, if we stood before God, we would shrivel up like leaves and we'll be blown away by divine judgment. Now, that's what people call the doctrine of depravity. Depravity. Not that we are the worst version of ourselves, but that you really don't know how bad you are. That even when you and I offer up our, our best efforts, our best offerings to the Lord. He couldn't accept it. He just couldn't, he, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't measure up. Without external help, without divine intervention, our righteous acts, our attempts at human good are considered by Isaiah, by God in Isaiah, to be stained menstrual rags. 
you know, an equivalent with radioactive equipment. You just contain it, throw it away, landfill, bury it somewhere. You know, nuclear, nuclear material, when, when does nuclear material stop being nuclear, being radioactive? It's a trick question. Half-life, 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 half-life. You know, it's, yeah, it takes a long, we just go and we bury, Americans in the house, where do you guys bury your stuff? Just take it to empty desert or under, you know, just bury it there, right? We can't have nuclear, we can't have nuclear power in Nigeria. You know, for those engineers, didn't your cousin go work for a nuclear agency? Space agency, yeah, let us stay there. We can't have nuclear power in Nigeria. We'll kill ourselves. They, 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 they never really stops being radioactive. Our sins without intervention never actually stop being pugnacious to God, right? We couldn't, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't, uh, uh, as I was saying, those filthy rags, you can't even show it to honored guests, much less to an almighty God. Uh, Peter also confirms this uh, by quoting Isaiah, saying, All flesh is grass, all our glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, the flower falls. It's, it's, it's so light. There's nothing weighty about you and I. All those guys, we, those peers, you saw, you saw like chest puffed up, ribbons, the citations said about them. There's a weight, there's pomp, there's glory, you know. Um, you know, about them. There's nothing, you know. So my, my first name is Akinyemi. How many of you know what Akinyemi means? It's a name of promise. It's a, it's a heavy name. Akinyemi, I, it's, it's, I deserve to be strong. It's a warrior name. It's like, it's like this child will grow up. He will just muscle. He will just, you know, you, you buff. You've seen the video. You know those Wakanda guards, those, those ladies. I was supposed to be better than them. Leave that one alone. <laughs> so that's the idea. Even the names, you know, weight, you know. I deserve to be strong. But you and I, there's nothing. There's no weight. There's no glory. There's nothing at all. Paper, grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. Amatan blows, gone. Before the Lord, we have zero qualifications. We have no notable performance records to be called into any relationship with God, much less appointment to a divine council that can stand before the Lord and intercede and say, ah, you know, Francis' son, his hand is, you know, Lord, heal him. Who are you? Where, where did you get the F1 tree? Where, where, where do you get the, to open your mouth to the God of the universe? And so in reading about Abraham, who was called God's friend, we find some hope. You read these things, you should have hope. It's, it's bad news. There's a lot of bad news about human nature and human behavior, but it's good news also as we begin to see a ray of hope uh, for sinful man. But Paul obviously tries to first disabuse of our minds of where we're coming from. If Abraham has standing before God as a result of his excellent performance, he can rightly say that God owes him. That's what he means when he says his wages are not gifts but obligations. Every time you think, you know, every time we complain, about our lives. We're saying God owes me something. You're saying that my life should be better. You know, I should have made, you know, I had, a, I had a, well, an old friend who fell into hard times and he reached out to some of his other old friends for assistance. And I was saddened because I was talking to him. I said, oh, don't worry, we'll try and raise some money, you know. But all he was saying was, you know, you know, Oshinos, I really shouldn't be where I am. You know, I, you know, I went abroad a long time ago. I went to great school and he was and he was he was lamented ah and so he has, he cut everyone off all of his friends from his school he went to great school in the u.s all of his friends he's in nigeria he's been in nigeria for the last uh, eight years we've not heard from him he called his friends in nigeria called his friends in america because his life isn't going the way he should he said i should have been something 
I should have been something. So, it would have been an obligation. We think that God owes us. It says, wages are not gifts. They're obligations. If he worked for it, then God owes him righteousness. But obviously, God does not. And if you and I desire God's friendship, if you and I desire access to God, it can't be our contaminated human works that we're going to present. We must come on terms that truly honor God and at his own way. And that's the problem with, you read about Cain, Cain's sacrifice, right? God asked him and his brother to come to, uh, to bring sacrifice to him. He brought bloodless grain. His brother Abel brought the finest choice animal. First of all, that guy, the bloodless, and the bloodless of, uh, grain simply means, I have no sin. That's essentially what he's saying. Uh, because God expected the spilling of a life of the animal, right? The shedding of blood to cover his sins for a while, right? Foreshadowing what Christ will come and do for all of us. This guy brought a bloodless sacrifice. He says, I have no sin. And then I'm going to do it my way. I'll, I'll, I'll get the best. I, I'm not, I don't have livestock. He could have exchanged his grain for livestock. But, you know, he wasn't going to make the effort. We have to come to God on God's own terms. And so Paul now tells us, of King David's prophetic word on how to be saved. How, how do we get saved? What must you do? Or what must happen? Or what must you do? What must happen in order for you and I to get access to God? Well, some divine decisions have to be made. Right? It says, the Lord must forgive your transgressions. He must cover your sins. And then he won't count them against you. And these three things are important because we, those who are now Christians and who rejoice in the salvation of Jehovah and who talk about their righteousness, they forget that sin is still present or that sin was present and it still is. The sin is there. You are the one producing it. You produce it in the past, you continue to produce it in the present, right? The only way, the only basis for which God treats you or gives you access to him is because a divine decision is made to forgive your transgressions, to cover your sins, and to not count them against you. And so when, we, when somebody hurts us, and you know, we're like, ah, can you believe what he did? And, you know, and say, oh, give me a chance, give me a chance. And, ah, he's still doing it. Right? Yeah. He's still doing it. She's still doing it. You and I are still doing it to the Lord. Right? So those three things must, must happen. Now, David's statement is actually equivalent, uh, established. Paul uses David's statement to establish uh, a pattern. Uh, and, it's, and it shows that it's an equivalent of, of, of Abraham's action. In order to receive the wonderful invitation or to possess this magnificent status, you must trust in God, like Abraham did, who is able to justify the ungodly without compromising his own holiness. And then the faith that is created to, uh, as righteousness to your divine account, apart from your record, though, Apart from your performance, apart from your record, whether it's excellent or woeful, or woeful uh, God will credit it to your account. Because you trust in him and in his message, and we'll get a little bit to some definitions of the gospel. Because you believe in his son and believe in his work, God then makes that divine decision to not count your sins against you. Now that presupposes a few things. Like uh, David would say, you accept your simple status, you accept your helplessness to help yourself, right? You can't help yourself. There's nothing you can do. Um, and then you are, going to, you are going to have to make a decision to stop presenting your contaminated works. You know, I, you know, I can't do anything to save myself. If you're already a Christian, I can't do anything to make God love me anymore. I can't do anything to make him accept me. I can't do anything to make him provide for me or to bless me. 
you have stopped deluding yourself that you have anything to offer to God. And so the credit of faith is the free gift of faith is the righteousness of God. Because somehow God forgives and banishes our sins away from us so that they are no longer abominable, abominable to him and then we can stand before him. God takes that away from us so that we can stand before him. Brings me to my third point, the order of faith. So there's a new order. It's no longer an order of merit, right? The world works by merit. And, and every day of our life, we have to make this adjustment that it's not that merit is bad. We want a world that is fair. But God has done something in our world by enabling us to access him on the basis of faith, it means merit is not the whole story. We want the world to work by merit. Where things aren't perfect, we have to supply the extra. Just like God supplied the extra, intervened to make life good for people who could not help themselves. It means we also have to intervene to help people who can help themselves. And more on that a little bit later. And so I'll read verse 9 to 12 of, uh, Romans, uh, of Romans. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or only for the uncircumcised? Or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstance was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. He is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Paul is asking, this blessed state, this uh, opportunity to come into a divine relationship, to have this magnificent status of membership in this new order of faith, is it only for Abraham's natural family? Is for the nation that descended from him, the circumcision of Israel, or is it open to all? The answer is all, obviously. He establishes the historical and spiritual fact that justification, the declaration that all that people accepted to him, uh, came first, right? God sent a lot to his divine account. God sent righteousness to Abraham's account first, and then Abraham obeyed um, as a result of the faith. And for us as Christians, we never, and I think Femi tried to make that point last, last week, we never divorce faith from obedience. Abraham had faith and then he obeyed. And many people try to push a narrative that we can have a Christianity or you can live a Christian life where you just say, I have faith, I profess faith, I'm a member of a household of faith. And yet, nothing about our lives reflects that. We, we, we never move into the into the natural phase. It's not unnatural. A natural phase where we obey the Lord as a result of our faith. James says, show me your faith without works and I by my works will show you my faith. Our obedience, however, is rooted in our love for God and the well-being of others because what we do affects other people around us. So, there's no other way for God to give us this blessedness, this uh, yeah, this status, apart from faith. Faith is the only system where the object of our faith receives all the merit and the subject has none. And, you know, guys debate this all the time, whether faith is a gift. You know, people, people because of this understanding of a weird, or they say deep understanding of depravity, says that our faith must come, our salvation must come from God alone. And so, therefore, anything that comes from human beings is what? 
bad contaminated its evil. And when somebody, when you then say, ah, you know, somebody had faith for salvation, they're like, nah, you know. And there's this thing, order of, order, order of salvation, they're like, God regenerates the person first, then gives him faith, you know, gets him born again first, then gives him faith, and then faith is made effective for salvation. I've never understood that thing. Uh, I don't agree with it, right? The reason why faith is not a problem, it's not a problem for a human being to have faith and God will credit our salvation is because faith has no merit. If I give you a gift and you receive it, where do we, is there any boasting in that? Can you boast? Can you boast? Actually, it turns out you can boast. But not before God. And if you boast, what does the Bible call you? There's a word. There's a word the Bible uses for people who present their works for salvation, who are trusting in their performance. Oh, foolish Galatians. You know, Christians, not Christians, human beings, we're a wonderful lot. Bible says that, you know, if Abraham worked for his or work for his righteousness, he could boast, but he can't come to God and boast. And then he establishes that, but he didn't receive this thing by his works. It was, it was through the gift, right? And so Abraham, because he's not a foolish man, will not boast either before God or what? Before man. But uh, you and I, uh, when our favorite man of God has done miracles, when he has blessed us and done things, and we're talking about, ah, I went for that service. It was powerful. Eh? He's a man of great faith. Eh? The man prayed for us. He joined his faith with ours. Miracles happened. We boast about men of faith. Do we understand that? People boast about how much faith they had. It's foolishness. Faith is the only system on this planet or in the universe that can bring salvation without giving any credit to the subject, the object of our faith. I trust in this person. He does all this for me. So next time you hear somebody, a Christian boasting about how good he is as a believer, about how he has matured because he has sown to the things of the Spirit, how he's able to lay hands on the sick, how, you know, you know, you know when I pray, when I pray, uh, come and line up here. Come and line. When, if I pray for you, it will happen. When you hear that, you should say what? Oh, foolish man of God. Oh, foolish man of God. So, no boasting. That's what uh, Paul meant by said. Abraham had no place to boast before God. The qualification for our membership in this new order of faith is the righteousness of Christ. The visible church, that's all of us who profess in Jesus Christ, will always face two kinds of perversion related to righteousness. And Galatians 5.1 says it best. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And we either go back to our slavery to sin or a new kind of slavery to self-righteousness. It's not really new. It's always been part of us. Whenever we try to get God's approval, we're either going back to slavery to sin or slavery to sin righteousness, uh, to self-righteousness. Slavery to sin is usually, uh, theological circles refer to as antinomianism. Uh, a disagreement with God on the, on the meaning of sin. God says, this sin is sin. You're like, no, I don't think so. God says, that is disobedience. Like, uh, I'd like to do a rain check on that one. Let me get back to you. You disagree with God. God says, this is sin. You're like, I'm not sure, divine person of the universe. 
I think I have some books I can check, or some experiences I can lean back that might show you this thing isn't so bad after all. After all, we're ruling the universe together. Or legalism, when we disagree with God on the meaning of righteousness and freedom. God says, this is okay. Yeah, my children, they can. You're like, no. Your earrings are too big. It will distract people. It will distract. I didn't say take it off now. <laughs> They're too big. It will distract people doing worship. Women, pinpoint earrings only. Right? We make up our rules. We make up, you know, I mean, frankly, Lagos has changed. Uh, 20 years ago, there was a battle, you know. Earrings, no earrings. Jewelry, no jewelry. Uh, makeup, no makeup. <laughs> the battles are still going in some parts of Lagos. But it was a much wider, it was a much wider thing where everybody was confused, right? Um, in our misery, the misery of the legalist, you know, misery loves company. So, you know, people can't be miserable by themselves. They have to widen the, the, uh, the, the, the circle, you know, and they want to recruit other people, recruit other people. And those are two tenets well. We'll do a little bit about, talk a little bit about legalism after. So, as a member of this new order of faith, congratulations. We celebrate you. Uh, what does life now look like for you? Galatians 5.22 says it best. You remember the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, faithfulness, meekness, humility, gentleness, uh, self-control. All right. So, that's no surprise. Somebody who has access to the divine sovereign, the God of the universe, the king of all the earth. You have access to him. You can stand before him. How did you get there? You remember how you got there, right? How did you get there? How did you get there? By faith. And then when you had faith, then what did God do? He created righteousness. And it, the twin, it's almost a, at the same time of create, uh, creating righteousness, he forgave you your sins. He covered it. And he said, I won't count it against you. So, you know, grace, you received grace. So how should your life look like? First, it would look like a gracious life. A gracious life. When you understand the gospel of grace, you can put it up there. People talk about the gospel of grace all the time. People in Reform Circle talk about the doctrines of grace. And at the same time, they talk about, ah, I remember when I was in my cage stage. Have you heard that word before? Yeah, it's only for reformed people. It's case stage refers to when somebody gets into some new level of theological knowledge and it starts vibrating. And everybody's evil and people don't know anything. These, these Nigerians, there's no doctrine in Nigeria. These stupid people. Did you hear that man of God? Did you hear him? Did you hear him? He rages, he insults, he, right? And what made him, he said, what made him, what made him so het up? He has experienced grace. He has experienced the doctrines of grace. He has experienced the gospel of grace. And these false gospels are all over the place. Ah! God punish all of them. Uh, no. They're incompatible. They're incompatible. We can be angry at falsehood. We can be angry at wolves in sheep's clothing. We can do all of those things. But it's the way we'll engage with individuals. I would say this. If you have rage, have rage towards systems. Have grace towards human beings. We have to think like that. Think of the system. So the Christian, Christendom, the falsehood. Yeah, you should be angry. God is angry at those things. But direct your rage towards systems that imprison people. Reserve your, uh, your grace for people. So judge less harshly. Leave room for the unknown because you are not God. 
Kindness. Kindness should, uh, should mark your life. Uh, kindness should mark your life. There's no more, uh, again, people who partner with rage and self-righteous anger. Uh, this is their favorite. They, when they, you don't, you, you've not heard it before. But the moment you hear it and the thing appeals to you, you know you're that kind of person. This is, this is a line I've heard it before. It pains me. Something happens, you correct someone or you do something to someone and in the lie, you're a bit mean. They're like, niceness is not a fruit of the spirit. Have you heard that before? You people have been afflicted though. I said, niceness is not a fruit of the spirit. That's someone, an ungracious, mean person is excusing his bad behavior rather than repenting of it. Says niceness is not the fruit of the spirit, but kindness is, and kindness trumps niceness, doesn't it? Yeah, niceness is not the fruit of the spirit. It's not part of God's plan. Kindness and call much greater, much better than niceness. And we will know it if you are kind. If you are not kind, you are not kind. If you are not kind, it's not because you are not. You don't want to politically correct. It's not because I don't believe in niceness. You don't believe in kindness too. Throwing stones, myself too, Sha. You know. <laughs> And that's the good thing about preaching. Uh, you get a chance to interact with, uh, with the message. You cry a little bit. You know, two days before you start telling your wife, uh, Belen now, you know, you start, you know, you know, your life flashes before you. You know, you are praying towards the Lord. You're like, ah, sorry, Lord. Ah, sovereign Lord, forgive. You know, so yes, yes, I'm not talking to you only. I'm talking to myself also. Kindness, forbearance, or what some uh, 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 translations call patience, which is courtesy under provocation. Right? You get that a lot, a lot in, uh, in Lagos. You go somewhere, the insults start coming. You want to park there. What? What are you doing? Move your moto. You know, you're like, yeah, is my packet? They, they've shouted on you and all that. The courteous. Now, that's very difficult for those of us in Lagos because when you move to Lagos, that is not one of those things your parents armed you with, right? They told you to be brave. They told you to be, you know, you know, to be assertive. They did not add patience. They didn't say, allow yourself to be insulted. It's not part of the ingredients they gave us for success in Lagos. So you have to add this ingredient from heaven, okay? All right. A bit of patience. Gentleness. This is an incredible thing. Uh, Philippians 4, 5 says, let your gentleness be known to all. It just means to be lenient, to restrain yourself. You don't have to unleash at all times, especially when you face people that are, that are troubled, or sometimes even when your rights are being trampled upon. And Philippians 4 says, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. It's a very funny thing, because the only, thing I can, I, the only other line I can equate to that is where it says, uh, some in Hebrews, talks about holiness without which... No, we see the Lord. He says, let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. It's almost as if the Lord is going to come soon. So therefore, be what? Gentle. The Lord is coming. And what is he going to be checking on? The first thing he's going to be checking on. When the Lord appears in our midst, the first thing he's going to be checking on us is what? Gentleness. I'm like, eh. Gentleness. We don't, we don't, when we interact with the fruit of the spirit, love, yeah, I need to love. You know, but you know, love broadly defined. You know, some people it's emotive, some people it's just charity work, right? But the way love looks like, I think love actually encompasses all of these things. Let your gentleness be known to all. Humility, because we're who we are by the grace of God. About five, five yeah, about five or six minutes, I'll be done. 
Because we are who we are by the grace of God, we have nothing we didn't receive from the Lord. And we even believe it when we say it. Right? Do we actually believe it when we say it? We don't always live like that. Now, because we are who we are by the grace of God, we have humility before God and before man. I'm not better than, really better than the next person. We pick, pick whatever axis. Now, in whatever axis you choose, whether it's in your business, whether it's at work, whether it's personal organization, whether it's Bible reading, there's always somebody you are better than, there's always someone better than you, right? That cannot be the basis with which we relate to one another. The Bible says we should prefer one another and love, submit to one another, regardless of our achievement, regardless of our performance record, regardless of whether we think uh, we're better than the other person. So your life will be um, marked by humility. And this is important because why did Jesus condemn the Pharisees? What did Jesus condemn the Pharisees for the most? Pride, lack of compassion, and hypocrisy. So I've, I've talked about what uh, the life of a member of the order of faith will look like. Let's look at what your life should not look like. Can I have the slide on the living of the Pharisees? Um, Jesus warned us, avoid, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. If you can't read it, I'll read it out for you. So on the left hand, there's religious legalism. On the right hand, there are gospel righteousness. And these are the thoughts that go through the mind of a legalist. Feel free to own one or some, right? Feel free to, if you don't own any of them, to feel free to avoid them if the thought comes to you. So legalist says, if he knew the Bible or attends church as well as I did, his life would be better. His life would be better. Is that, is that, is that true? Is that really true? Huh? Maybe, maybe not. You don't know. But it's not your place to cast that kind of judgment on somebody else. Gospel righteousness. Well, Bible reading and religious devotion should make me a better person. Not make everything work perfectly for me. The fact that my business isn't doing well, I'm in between jobs, my marriage is kind of not in the place it should be. Right? That doesn't mean it's not because of Bible study or all this sort of devotional stuff, right? All of these things are meant to change me. It is you who have been perfected. It is me that's been perfected, not my circumstances. Second, I follow the rules, so my life should be so much better than this. That's awesome that you follow the rules, but that's not what got you into Christianity in the first place, is it? You got in because of the mercy of Christ. The mercy of Christ was extended to you when you were still a rule breaker. You got blessed when you're a rule breaker, right? Now, following the rules, what does God's righteousness say? Following the rules doesn't keep me in the love of God anymore than it got me into the love of God. So why do I follow the rules? Because it's my response to the love of God. I keep that in front of me. Third attitude or thought or, you know, God listens to my prayers. God listens to my prayers. That's like a, do you hear this? There's some smugness. I'm not talking about just a thankfulness. God listens to my prayers. Have you heard where people, have you heard where, um, yeah, someone said that's true. So have you heard where people's lives are a mess? You're talking about how, you know, life could be better and you're trying to hold on another in prayer. And the person says, me, oh, God listens to my prayers. There's a smugness about it. There's a certitude. Um, for, for a person, prayer might have become a predictive formula. Right? In that is this sense that in which I found the key to Christian life. Now, I'm not talking of maybe someone who is thankful that God's grace, that God is gracious to him and answers their prayers, right? He thinks, I found a formula that I can manipulate or control God. 
Now, the reason why it's, it's hard to say um, God answers all of my prayers, right? Do we pray amiss sometimes? Yeah. The Bible says we pray according to his will, he hears us. So you could say God answers my prayers when I pray according to his will. But are you saying you never pray amiss? Everything I've asked for. Okay, that's fine if, if, that's, your, if that's your position. But I would say beware of this. Prayer isn't some Alexa app. It's not a button we press to activate God. It's a conversation to be sought and to be sustained. Prayer is about broken people embracing the mystery and the majesty of our forgiven God. For most of us, prayer is, I want, I need, God help me, right? But if prayer life also involves a lot of, Lord, this is me, Lord, I'm sorry, I want to be better, you know, I read this today, I've seen this today, mold me, shape me, and all that. You find out that the smugness will be drawn out of that kind of a life. Fourth one, sure, I have a few issues, but that's between me and God. And this is the problem that Jesus had with Pharisees. Perfect on the outside, flawed on the inside. He's saying, he say, yeah, I have to choose, but you know, we're not going to discuss it. We're just, let's just continue as we are, right? We'll, I'll keep, we'll both keep maintaining our, pretend, our pretense that life is good. I have a problem. Um, don't really need your help. I don't really need your help. Where am I going to get the help? Ah, from God. Yeah, that from God. Is that how Christianity works? All of our problems direct with God. No community, no, no accountability, no, no fellowship. That's not true. There's no need. The gospel response is, there's no need to pretend to be perfect. I'm not. I had issues before I became a Christian. I have issues now. Right? And for me, I, I particularly grew up in a very, very individualistic type of Christianity. Didn't get help. And until I entered a community of believers where I was willing to have... I don't, I don't mean come to church and tell everybody your problems. I mean find a person you, who loves you, who cares for you, a friend, a brother, a sister, and you can bounce things around them. And we've talked about, for example, a couple of weeks ago when for people who are struggling with hidden sins who have ongoing problems or habits that Satan wants to keep in the dark. I suggest you find someone, anyone, and talk to them about it. Last one, they just need to work harder. When you see someone who's struggling, when you see somebody who's poor, they just need to work harder. Compassion is the heart of Christ. Jesus loves the poor, he loves the broken, and he tends to them. Now, the Bible talks about hard work, the Bible talks about prudence, and there are many things we can learn in our community about how we can handle our monies better, how we can be better stewards of God's gifts, how we can work better, how we can handle our problems better in the workplace. But don't allow, this is the problem, and this is what the gospel righteousness solves. Don't allow your own relative success in any sphere of activity, in any sphere of life, uh, don't allow it to serve as a basis for judging others. We have to show compassion. We have to show empathy. We have to remember mercy. This is the life of someone who is a member of the order of faith. Jesus looked at all of us and the Bible says that he had compassion on us because we were like what? Sheep without shepherd. Sheep without shepherd. Yeah, there was a time when he physically looked at the house of Israel. The same way he looked at all of us before we became saved. And God was able to fulfill all of David's prophetic promise 
of a special kind of blessedness. The Prince of Righteousness himself took on the penalty and the wages of our sin as my substitute, as your substitute. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, Romans 3.23, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ is the ultimate free gift. We know righteousness is the intermediate gift that we have that allows us to come into the presence of God, but Christ is the ultimate free gift. It costs the Father his Son, it costs the Son his life, but it costs us nothing, at least up front. Not up front. What does he ask for? What does, God, what does he ask for in return? What does he ask for? Your life. He asks for everything. Does he ask for part of our lives or everything? He asks for all of our lives. I also think that we need to recalibrate our understanding of Christianity. There's nothing asked of us up front. But he does ask for everything. Every, is there any part of your life that God is not interested in? I've heard, I had this comment in a joke, uh, I, I think, passing. Is God interested in the food you are going to have this afternoon? Is he interested? Somebody says, yes. All right. Good. Is God interested in what you drink? Water, coffee, tea, alcohol? Somebody says, no. Is he interested in what you wear? Yeah, yeah. You can remember some scriptures now, you know. Food, clothing, raiment, you know, all these things the people of the world run after. He says, don't worry about them, but he, don't worry because what? He cares. So don't worry, it's not, God doesn't care about those things. He does care. Does he worry about your hairstyle? Whether Fumi wears it in an Afro puff, she makes me jealous, that's why I always mention it. Or whether she, where's Lola? Ah, I thought you were not in church today. All right. Or whether she wears it, does God care? He cares to the extent that it makes you feel good, right? To the extent that, you know, you can step out and say, yeah, 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 yeah. I still got it. I got it, got it, right? He also cares uh, to the extent that you can't step out of your house unless you look perfect. He cares too about that too. He says, uh, let, your, let your outward appearance not be based on what? Uh, not on your hairdo or your hairstyle jewelry you wear or expensive clothing so he cares don't don't let it get to you that you can't come to church you can't come out of your house you can't you know one hour one hour picking clothes i know it's not men i know it's unfair it's women but one hour picking clothes I, I, it doesn't fit it doesn't fit it fits don't worry let your confidence let your rest be in god he cares does he care about the time you spend in traffic does he care how you spend your money does he care about your shoes I think to the extent that your shoes elevate you, like you're under five foot and elevates you and gives you. Femi, what shoes are you wearing? To the extent that it gives you confidence, a boost. God cares about your shoes. He doesn't want you to depend on it. There's no part of our lives that God doesn't care about. I close with a quote from Abraham Kuyper There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Don't be suckered into a Christianity that says, Christ is a free gift, come receive it, then go out and grab all you can. Good life, good wife, money, job, nothing from you. That's not the gospel. Mine. All of you. 
every single part of you and me. Mine, Christ says. 2019, think like that. I belong to the Lord. Fully, wholly, completely to Him. He cares for me. He will carry me. He will sustain me. Let us pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your goodness to us in this new year. We're thankful that you will sustain us. We're full of faith. We're looking forward to living by faith and to walking with you by faith. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.